morning, Sarah Hepler. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. By the way, uh, I have heard back that my um, my podcast microphone is coming home from the hospital for sick and wayward podcast mics. Um, it is on its way back and should be here in the next week or so. So uh, I'm proud it was- of it. It it went I- to the rehab facility, got the waters. <laughs> Didn't just duck down to Vegas. So yeah, yeah, I've really been getting better, Sarah. I promise. I promise I'm gonna do yeah. better when I get this, back. This yeah. time this time it's gonna be different. I it's swear, gonna baby. all be different. I swear. Um well we um we have a guest this morning, and our guest is from Well Please, Kyle Suffren, who many of you know or should know from the podcast Ask and Do with um our dear friend Yale Bartour, which kind of had a little bit of an inception, I think, via Paloma Media. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take all the credit. Just no, by the you, way. you should take all the credit. Yeah, you yeah. Well, you are responsible for the the train wreck that is Askachu. <laughs> um, um, Kailea, good morning. First of all, it's six thirty in the morning where your Kailea is. So give her props right now, and um, tell us a little bit quickly about yourself. Oh boy, uh, I'm. Talking to you from Long Beach, California. I live. I work here. Live here. I'm married. I have four sons between the ages of 21 and 13. Um, I am the sorry. I'm the executive director of Beach Hillel, which is the Jewish student club at Cal State Long Beach. So I work on campus. So I've allowed. If you have any questions about college campuses, I'm your person. Um, and I like talking about being Jewish. That's like my favorite thing. Well, And you grew up in a Hasidic community, is that correct? Yes, I, I'm a Hasidic Jew, yeah. And where did you grow up exactly? So I grew up on the East Coast till I was eight years old, and then my father's a rabbi, so we moved here when I was eight for him to take over a congregation here. Um, so I've lived in Long Beach since I'm eight, except for time. I lived in New York for four years after high school. I went to school there, got married in New York. Uh, while living in New York, and then we moved back here, and I raised my kids here. So, yeah, mostly in California, which is not the usual <laughs> for a Hasidic family. And what does it mean exactly to grow up in a Hasidic community? Like, do you all go to school together? Um, you know, how enclosed is it? Like, um, how um, you know interactive were you with the rest of the world? That's a good question. Um, So in general, Hasidic Jews are like a part of the Orthodox Jewish world. There's like a spectrum of orthodoxy and the Hasidic community is one part of the Orthodox world. It's generally like the most religious part, the most closed off insular part of the community. Most Hasidic communities are totally educated inside their own communities. They don't really interact much with the outside world. Definitely not with pop culture or any of the like mainstream media type of thing, you know? Um, And it's the people, I mean, if I could describe it, like the people who have long curly side locks, the men and they wear like fur hats and the women are very modestly dressed. So that's, that's generally what the Hasidic world looks like. I come from a sect of Hasidic Jewry that is much more open to the outside world because our mission is really about bringing Judaism outside to other people, especially mostly to Jews and to bringing Jews closer to Judaism and like teaching them and interacting with them, inviting them into our homes. So I grew up kind of in this like weird space of 
totally being educated in a Hasidic way. I went to only Jewish schools my whole life. I was in an all girls, you know, environment mostly. Um, pretty closed off from pop culture, although I was always very interested. So I snuck a lot around a lot and hit a lot of things. Um, but also, like, I grew up in Long Beach, California, where you, like, are exposed to real sure. life. But we definitely dress differently. We, you know, speak differently. And so, yeah, it's it was interesting. It's a and very nice had, community. And you had um, two things that I recall from listening to, to Ask a Jew and also just knowing you is that you used to kind of sneak watching television and you'd make your brothers like hold the, the rabbit ears so she could yeah. actually get reception. I would pay him when my parents went out at night because we didn't have a TV in our house. So if you like stuck a safety pin in the back of like the video machine, you could get reception, you know? And so I would pay him to do that for me when, when we were younger. And, and what were the um, what were the clandestine television shows that you were watching? Oh my god, I was obsessed with Nine Hundred Two One Zero. I'm a real nineties, yeah. yeah. Like that was. I thought that everyone outside of my Hasidic community lived like that, you know. And I would feel sorry for myself. Like I want to be Dylan and Brenda and Kelly. I mean, that was like the that was my exposure to pop culture. So I thought that's what it was like in the outside world. I mean. And then as I grew up, I was like, wait, like the people I meet are not that cool or that good looking or that, you know, whatever. They're not having all these experiences. So definitely like was a big awakening for me as I got older. But that's what I thought like non-Jewish life was. You know? It's weird how um, television becomes this representation. I mean, it's 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 this fantasy world that gets mistaken for reality by yeah. children. And so, you know, I was living in Dallas and I'm looking at shows like 90210 and I'm like, that's what I guess L.A. is. Yeah. yeah. I guess Southern California is all like that. You know, exactly. Exactly. It was so bad for me that like I remember girls in my community didn't really work in high school. I mean, it, we taught maybe like in the shul in the synagogue or we would babysit a lot. But when I was about in 11th grade, my mother forced me to get a job in a pharmacy because she was so upset at my like view of the world. She thought I was like so off base with like what I thought the outside world was. And I started working at this pharmacy and I met kind of non-Jews for the first time in my life. I hadn't really been around non-Jewish people. And these were like the nicest, sweetest people who worked in a pharmacy, probably making $8 an hour, you know? And I started to realize like, I was in a way more well-traveled than them. You know, I had been to Israel several times. I was going in and out of New York all of the time. We were flying back and forth to New York constantly. And the people who worked there who were much older than me had never left California or, you know, lived. I remember meeting a woman there who I worked with. She was a nice lady. She lived in a trailer home, you know, and like I had never, I had no concept of that. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is actually the real world, not what I'm watching on TV or in the movies. And so that was actually, my mother was really smart for having me do that. What's also interesting is when you're meeting people in a pharmacy, they're sometimes kind of vulnerable, right? Yeah, they're coming yeah. and picking up something, you know, a cancer medication or a birth yeah. control or something. And so they're, I, I actually yeah. always like, I always thought if I, you know, there are these jobs where you like, you know, you'll never get that job, but if you had to, you would like it. I, every time I go to the pharmacy, I'm like, I'd like to be a pharmacist. I wouldn't mind this. Yeah. It's kind of organized. And then you get to talk to people and like kind of help people and spend a little moment in their lives. So I'm, I'm imagining you did something like yeah. that. Too. Yeah, it was great. So. Pharmacist is, by the way, one of my like uh, dreamscape fantasy jobs. Like when I'm really stressing about my my work, and I'm like, I got to do something else. I got to do something else. 
I'm like, I'm going to go work in a pharmacy. It's probably very yeah. difficult. You know, I mean, I don't know, especially around COVID and all that. It was oh, probably I'm a sure. nightmare. It was probably a nightmare. But I had this fantasy for a while that like that would be the job where you could just kind of like piddle around in the, you know, mm-hmm. put the pills together, give them to people. I don't know why. I don't know why that job. This is very weird. We have the same fantasy, Sarah. I don't, I don't know what this <laughs> says about us. Um, so I want to kind of intro why we're here with you besides you being fabulous. So as I mentioned, Kyalea does a podcast, Ask a Jew with Yale Board Tour, and they often tape it from my Paloma Media Studios, which is AKA my apartment. And last week, um, I happened to be there while Yale was setting up and Kyalea Leia popped on and I was like, wait a second, what? wait, how much weight have you lost? And she said 45 pounds. Now, yeah. guys, Kyalea is what, five foot nothing? Is that how tall you yeah. are? barely. (laughs) And I said, I really want to talk to you about this. And she said, I'd love to. And one of the reasons I wanted to do, if I may, Sarah, because you've also been. You may, Nancy. Okay. My (laughs) podcast partner, whose beautiful face I look at for a couple of hours every week. I was like, girl, your cheekbones are just like happening. How much weight have you lost? And I haven't asked you in about a week. So what is it, Sarah? How much? Yeah, I think it's it's over twenty. It's like twenty two, twenty two okay. pounds. So these two women that together are like ten foot two, maybe, have lost almost. Yes, 70, I am. 70 yes, pounds. I am. In case people don't know, I am a dainty five foot two. She's tiny. I I am I'm flabbergasted. Seventy pounds in like three months, or however long you guys have been doing it, is astounding. I am of the opinion. Everybody wants to hear about other people's regimes. For instance, when I mentioned Kyalea to my daughter, they had you lost it. She's like, how did you do it? I want to know. I want to know everything. So we are fascinated in this because all of us, even if you're like in shape or you're not overweight or you think you never think about it, people do. People are aware of what's going in their bodies, how they feel moving through space. So I thought we would have a little bit of conversation about fat and our relationship to it and what we've done to not be it and why. And um, so that's why we're here today, girls. So I don't know who wants to start, but why don't we start with Hialeah since she's our guest. Tell us okay. what happened. <laughs> what happened? Wow. Okay. I just want to start off by saying that this is the first time I'm going to talk about this, really. I am so uncomfortable talking about it, but that's kind of why I decided to do this okay. because I do not I, – I really – have such an uncomfortable relationship with talking about dieting and fitness and health and wellness and especially about myself. So I just want to like say that first because like I'm it's just I'm cringing like I'm so uncomfortable but I, this is good for me to talk about and so I'm, I'm happy to do this. Um, Can I just interrupt you and yes, say please. that I am also so uncomfortable yeah. like it is it is one of the things yeah. that I wish people would never ask me about. Same, same. Like, can <laughs> I go the rest of my life and nobody asks me about my weight or my body? It's been yeah. sort of a fantasy for, I think one of the reasons I became a writer was probably to disappear and not have a body. Yeah. And so the attention on it um, is is difficult for me. But, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I haven't mentioned this, you know, on the podcast before I haven't talked about, you know, any, any of this. So, 
Um, so we are in this together, but I do, <laughs> you know, I'm also aware that my relationship with my body is the longest I'm the most important one I'm probably going to have in this life. Like I will mm. never get out of it. <laughs> That's true. Um, and so it's very profound. It's very deep. And, um, and it's, so anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about it, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm right yeah. there with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I haven't talked about it either. Really. Um, I guess, where, where should I begin? I mean, I, you know, had a very bad relationship with food and exercise all of my life. Um, I was not a heavy child. I wasn't like a heavy teenager. I was just really short every, you know, always. And so you look a little chubbier maybe, but I wasn't really at all. Um, but then I had four kids in seven years and in my twenties and I basically didn't really do much for myself. I didn't take care of myself and that's no one's fault, but mine. Um, and I just steadily gained weight, you know, with each baby, I would put on a few more pounds here and there. And then more and more after so I gained much more weight after I had my babies than like during my pregnancies, which is harder to lose because there's no baby coming out. Right. Like it was just, it was the postpartum weight gain and it just kind of settled in for years, you know, and I would try everything I would try. I mean, I tried every diet, you know, like what? whole 30, Weight Watchers, Herbalife. I mean, you name it. I tried it. You know, I have every cookbook. I have every vitamin. I have all the bullshit. Um, I also Atkins, like Atkins. Atkins. I try. I mean, South Beach. So, oh my God, South Beach for sure. Suzanne Summers, whatever she was promoting. Like, I just tried it all, and I never was successful. I think I lost one time. I lost like thirteen pounds on Herbalife. That was like the most I've ever lost, and I just. Last year, like a yeah, about a year ago, um, I just I hate to say it like this, but not to be dramatic, but I feel like I hit rock bottom. Like I just was so unhappy, and I was so depressed about it, and I was so upset. And I like came back from a trip to Israel, and I just did not get out of bed for like a week. And I'm like, everything in my life is great. I have a great marriage. I have four beautiful, healthy children. My professional life was going well. I love the podcast. Like everything was going, why do I feel like shit all the time? And I just had this moment where I'm like, I feel like shit because of the choices I'm making every single day. That's it. I can't blame it on anything else. I can't, I have to stop blaming the Holocaust, right? Like, oh, my grandparents are Holocaust writers. I have a lot of body trauma from Auschwitz. That's why I hold on to food the way I do. You know, like that's literally the story I was telling myself for years. All of my genetics, everybody in my family is overweight. Like, and I just had this moment where I'm like, I have to stop with the bullshit. Like, I, that's not why. It's because I'm not moving. I don't exercise. I don't prioritize health and wellness. I don't take care of myself. I don't eat right. Like, and once I had that moment and I just said, I have to change my life and I hate being preachy about it. And I don't, I, that's why partly why I'm uncomfortable because this isn't like an old story for me. This is new. And I don't want to be the person in like six months who's back where I was, but I really don't think I will be. I've, I've changed my life so dramatically that I don't think I'll ever go back to the way I was before. Um, before we talk about how you've changed your life dramatically and resulting in 45 pounds of weight loss and who knows where it's going. Um, what was your reaction from your family or did you say anything or did you just to do it? I mean, my poor husband has put up with me like buying every 
thing in the world that I thought I could do to lose weight and never like never did anything. But he was always he's always been so sweet about it. He never made me feel bad about how I look ever. I mean, he's always been like, you're beautiful. It doesn't matter. You know, you, your body is like amazing. You had four kids, be proud of it. Like he's so supportive in that way. Um, which, you know, in a way was beautiful and nice, but also not helpful. (laughs) Um, and also like, makes he's gonna hate that I'm saying this but like I don't trust him when it comes to like how I look you know what I mean like I just don't it's does it's just meaningless to me what he says about my body because I know he's just being nice always um so I uh no one you know I think everybody was skeptical at first and now my family is like wow I mean they're really proud of and like I know my parents and my siblings like they're like wow you actually really did it you know and I'm I'm not not did it I'm doing it I mean something this is the rest of my life this isn't something that there's like a a end date of like this is just a new life that I have really when it comes to health and wellness you know I think a lot about the body acceptance movement right or the body positivity (laughs) movement oh yeah um (laughs) Which has, I think, in a lot of ways, done a lot of great things. Look, if you look back in, like, the 90s um, media, like, some of the nasty things that would be said about people that were larger, it's it's really shocking. Um, But there is this thing that goes along with it, which is, like, you're supposed to just accept your body wherever it is. And one of the things that had happened for me... You know, I I don't know. I think it was for me. It was a combination of two things. You know, one of them was I I got into my late forties and I just started gaining weight a lot easier. Mm. And the other thing was I have this this tendency to disappear into deadlines. Mm. And so when I get stressed and get on deadlines, it's just like I can't even be bothered, and I'm just door dashing. And by the way, I know I'm living in a way that I shouldn't be living. Like I'm not exercising, I'm not doing these things um, that could could keep me, we have a saying in, in AA, which is like on the beam, like you want to be on the beam. Um, and I'm like very much off the beam. And, and I remember like this moment where I was like so much heavy, I was the heaviest I had been in sobriety. And I was like, should I just accept this? Um, is this who I am now? Like, do I need to just say, like, stop fighting this? Um, but it the at the sort of core of me, I knew I wasn't making the right decision. Like, I wasn't making good choices mm-hmm. for myself. Um, you know, I wasn't eating healthy. I wasn't exercising, and I like I didn't find it acceptable. I think we also know that in our body. I mean, you know when you feel good and when you don't. Like, oh, am I am I sick today? Do I have a cold? Like, you know, you're if you're trying to be in touch with your body. And I think the more you gain weight or out of shape, you start to lose that sense of like, am I am I on the beam? Am I where am I in space? But I think the idea that the phrase like you know, accept your body where it is, is a nonsense phrase because your body is just where you put it there today. There's no end place. Like, oh, this is it. No, it's going to change like in two minutes, the minute you do or don't like drink a soda. So I think I'm also, I've been very skeptical of the body positivity movement. That's like, it doesn't matter if you're 350 pounds. Well, it does. Any doctor is going to tell you it does. You know, you're carrying around 
you know, maybe twice of what you should be carrying around. You're putting, you're taxing every organ, you're taxing every single thing in your body, and you're going to open yourself up to be unhealthy. So I understand we want to be, you know, we shouldn't all like have Kate Moss heroin chic. That's nonsensical. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you, you know, it doesn't matter what someone tells Hialeah or someone tells Sarah Heppel. You know if you're feeling if you're on the beam. So I don't, it doesn't really matter what some political movement tells you. Yeah. So, I, I could say about my students, like I watch my female students especially, and many of them are overweight. And I could see how uncomfortable they are. And they don't even know it. Them, like they are pulling their clothes all the time, trying right. to adjust themselves, trying to like disappear. I watch it happen in front of my face. And I, and I know that feeling because I felt that way, right? Like many times. And yeah, I get that this is a nice idea that, oh, everybody should love themselves for who they are. I mean, but I know as a bigger girl, like it's really hard, right? It's hard to do that. And it's, I think a better message would be, and I hate saying it now because like I was one always laughing at women who were so into fitness and I, I judged them and I was mean about it, you know, but a better message to my students is like, you should feel good about yourself. And if you don't feel good about yourself right now, do something about it. Like, don't lean into it and like, take care of it. Take care of yourself. You're young, like at 19, 20 years old, it's easy to get into the, a good routine and to be healthy and don't fall into this trap that like, oh, you know, I'm x number of pounds overweight but i'm still gonna wear the skimpiest little outfit even though i know i'm uncomfortable because i'm pulling my skirt down the whole time or i'm adjusting my shirt constantly in a conversation so i don't know it's it's not hello smoke we've got them listeners if you are hearing this that means you have just listened to the free portion of our oh i don't know bi-weekly episodes with sarah hepla sarah hepla who's just so busy right now. She could not record this little uh, interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.